0: Well, it happened, fellow podcast listeners, the Fed raised interest points by 0.75 points. You know, we were going to talk a little bit about what that could potentially mean for the markets going forward, but we decided today on today's podcast that we'll try to talk a little bit more about the positive stuff that's going on within the market and what's potentially going to be happening going around. Now, granted, if things do get worse, then obviously we'll try our best to cover it. But I will say this right now, with the Fed raising interest rates currently, four areas of the economy that are going to be affected, credit cards, auto financing, mortgages, and other valuable rate loans. And we might cover that in a future video. But today in particular, we are going to be talking about other business items that have been popping up Things that might get the economy a little bit excited going forward. For instance, Avatar is returning into theaters as Disney tries to hype the audience for its long, long, long delayed sequel and what that could potentially mean for Disney and what that potentially means for any average moviegoer in general. Ford is planning to restructure its supply chain following a 1 billion unexpected quarterly loss. Okay. We're also gonna be talking about the semiconductor space and what this potentially means because it says the U.S. and its allies are joining forces on chips that could stop China from reaching the next level. And finally, the last thing that we will talk about because it caught my attention this morning, it has to do with Turkey. Europe potentially could be facing another crisis, potentially, because Turkey, even though here in the United States, we've been raising our interest rates, turkey is cutting their interest rates even though they're dealing with an 80 percent inflation rate right now and so we'll talk about what's happening in turkey towards the end of the segment to be able to get a better idea of what's going on with that being said i have to remind you all at the beginning of each podcast i'm not a professional advisor in any way shape or form everything i talk about this podcast is for information purposes only you need to do your own research before investing in any stocks as you're not guaranteed to make money in the stock market this podcast is for information purposes and entertainment purposes for those who wish to listen With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Avatar returns to theaters as Disney tries to hype audience for its long-delayed sequel. Okay, The Na'vi return on the big screen this weekend as Disney looks to reignite interest in the newly acquired Avatar franchise, three months before the debut of the long-delayed sequel Avatar The Way of Water. Bringing the highest-grossing film back of all time back to theaters has two purposes for Disney. drum up up excitement for the way of water and fill vacant spots on a theoretical calendar. The sequel is one of four due over the next decade. The re-release of the original film is a sort of litmus test for whether audiences still want to see its uh, eco-conscious science fiction world. Many questions have been asked about the film's pop culture legacy over the past decade, but we have to remember that James Cameron has been doubted before and proven many wrong said sean robbins chief analysis at boxoffice.com directed by cameron the mastermind behind tantanic and the terminator avatar opened in late 2009 to wide acclaim and massive financial success eventually earning nine oscar nominations but it never captured the cultural relevance that star wars or the marvel cinematic universe both also owned by disney have enjoyed toy sales fizzled and cosplayers donning heavy blue makeup at pop culture fan conventions have become few and far between Naturally, all eyes have uh, correction. Naturally, all eyes will be on the box office performance this weekend, as this may serve as an indicator of audience interest. In December, released *The Way of Water*, said Paul, senior analysis at ComScore. Avatar captivated audience more than a decade ago, in part because of the technology that Cameron helped develop. A film and animated the movie. The film was shot using Fusion Cameron system, which was created by Cameron and cinematographer Vince Pace. Award. Academy Award-nominated films like Martin Sorcey's Hugo and Ugly Life of Pi also utilized the camera system. Previous systems used two cameras because filmmakers had determined that the human brain processed different information from different sites of the brain. So one part of the brain would process image movement, while the other would process what was happening on the image. And last thing we'll talk about, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's going on here. It says here, Current estimates for the film re-release range from $7 million to $12 million, with box office analysis saying a figure in the mid-teens would be huge. It's also facing stiff competition from historical action epic The Woman King, which had a strong opening this past weekend and could be primed for a long, successful run at the box office. I'm pretty excited for Avatar The Way of Water coming out. Ever since I've been talking about it on my podcast a little bit, I've noticed like in particular that I've been receiving a lot of YouTube videos on Avatar just because of the hype. Now it could also be because they're trying to get the uh, get people excited, but I've noticed that I have seen a lot of Avatar features on my YouTube searches. I have to say, rewatching some of those scenes from 2009 still mind-boggling to think that that was that movie was made in 2009, especially with today's technology. It's going to be interesting to see how Avatar does in the movie theaters. And all honestly, people will probably go in and will still be somewhat blown away, like I currently am, about just how good the CGI of the movie is. Now, the storyline probably could be worked on a little bit, but the scenery in particular is just beautiful across the board, especially for a 2009 film. Imagine what it's going to be for a 2022 film. Probably even be more mind-blowing, hopefully. Disney, though, in particular, this could be what sparks Disney's growth in the making. Disney has been struggling a lot in the box office. We know Lightyear failed completely. And the Marvel movies are kind of in that awkward stage of having to rebrand themselves after a lot of their main characters from the original films have left. So this is going to be interesting to see how Disney handles the Avatar series now. And with the, with, with the remaining ones coming out in the next few years, too, should be fun to see how these all play out in the end. Uh, small disclosure, I do have a small position in Disney. It's a long-term position, but I do have a small position. Going on to the auto industry, Ford has restructured supply chains following a $1 billion unexpected quarterly loss. From Detroit, from CNBC, Ford Motor on Thursday announced plans to restructure its global supply chain days after the company said it expected to book an extra $1 billion unexpected supplier costs during the third quarter. The supply chain restructuring aims to support efficient and reliable sourcing of components, internal development of key technologies and capabilities, and world-class cost and quality execution, the automaker said in its release. The effort will be led by an intermium base by Ford Chief Financial Officer John Lawyer until a Chief Supply Chain Officer is selected. Lawyer is stepping in at a time when parts and raw material costs for automakers and suppliers have been soaring during the coronavirus pandemic. They're probably also soaring, too, because of inflation, but they don't mention that in this article. The increase have occurred amid severe supply chain problems, including an ongoing global shortage of crucial semiconductor chips. On Monday, Ford said recently negotiations resulted in inflation-related supply costs running $1 billion higher than previously expected during the third quarter. The announcement included a pre-release of some earnings expectation caused by Ford stock have its worst day in more than 11 years. Jonathan Jennings, Ford Vice President of Supply Chain, will also take additional responsibility for supply technical assistance and quality, the company said. He will report to lawyer. The supply chain plans were announced in addition to further execute changes and appointments involving electric vehicles, product development, and other areas of the company. Ford said the changes are acceleration of CEO Jim Farley's Ford Plus plan for growth and value creation. You know, we need to read that one part again. It says the increase have incurred amidst severe supply chain problems including an ongoing global shortage of crucial semiconductor chips. okay Semiconductor chips are probably going to be a huge huge resource that is going to be needed in the future for the car companies in particular. but I mean if they're going electric that's what's that's what they're going to need. That's why it's kind of weird to think that we're making such a big push for our electric vehicles in the United States, or at least some government officials are, and yet there's supply chain issues. But that might also explain finally why the U.S. government might be making a push a little bit more into bringing the chips back home. From the tech sector, the U.S. and its allies are joining forces on chips that could stop China reaching the next level from CNBC. Leading chip-making nations, including the U.S., are forming alliances in part to secure their semiconductor supply chain to stop China from reaching the cutting edge of the industry, Analysis told CNBC. Places including the United States, South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan, which have strong semiconductor industries, have looked to forge partnerships around the critical technology. The immediate reason for this is definitely China, said a chairperson of the high-tech geopolitical programming at the takashalia institution i think that's how you say it in reference to the alliance the teaming up underscores how important chips are to the economies and national security while at the same time highlighting a desire by countries to stem china's advancement in critical technology continuing on the article why are chips in a geopolitical spotlight semiconductors are critical technology because they go into so many products we use from smartphones to cars and refrigerators Oh, I didn't know they were in refrigerators. That's new to me. Continuing on with the article. And they were also critical to artificial intelligent applications and even weaponry. The importance of chips were thrust into the spotlight during the ongoing shortage of the co- these components, which sparked by the COVID pandemic. It met a surging demand for consumer electronics and supply chain disruptions. That alerted governments around the world to the need to secure chip supplies. The United States under President Joe Biden has pushed to reshore manufacturing. Hmm. Funny how he's trying to bring the jobs home. If I'm not mistaken, I believe President Trump tried to do that too, and they kind of were slow at moving their feet. Continuing on with the article, but the semiconductor supply chain is complex and includes areas ranging from designing to packaging to manufacturing and the tools that are required to do that. For example, ASML, based in the Netherlands, is the only firm in the world capable of making high complex machines that are needed to manufacture and Manufactured the most advanced chips. The United States, while strong in many areas of the markets, have lost its dominance in manufacturing over the last 15 years. So Taiwan, TSMC, and Korea, Samsung, have come to dominate the manufacturing of the world's most advanced semiconductor. Intel, the United States' largest chipmaker, fell far behind. Taiwan and South Korea make up about 80% of the global foundry market. Foundries are facilities that manufacture chips that other companies design the concentration of critical tools and manufacturing in a small number of companies and geo and geographies have put governments around the world on edge, as well as through semiconductors into the realm of geopolitics. Yeah. This might be something that might be brought up soon. Eventually, especially now, if if think about it, if we had a presidential debate right now, this would probably be a huge topic being talked about in the politics world. Okay. And ironically, there's a midterm election coming up too in the United States. And obviously I don't think this is going to affect the midterm elections that much, but it is probably something a lot of people are going to be thinking about. Continuing on the article, this says lines is being built that exclude China because of the complicity of the chip supply chain. No country can go at it alone. Countries have increasingly sought chip partnerships in the past two years on a South to on a trip to South Korea in May. Biden visited a Samsung semiconductor plant around the same time. U S commerce secretary, Gina, Raimundo met with her Japanese counterpart in Tokyo and discussed corporate cooperation in the fields such as semiconductors and export control. Last month, Taiwan's president told the visiting U.S. state Arizona Governor Doug Ducey that she looks forward to producing democracy chips with America. Taiwan is home to the world's most advanced chip maker. Last thing we'll read. And semiconductors are a key part of the cooperation between the United States, India, Japan and Australia, a group of democracies collectively known as the Quad. The U.S. has proposed a chip four alliance with South Korea, Japan and Taiwan, all powerhouses in a semiconductor supply chain. However, details of this have not been finalized. That might explain why Joe Biden recently said in an interview that we would defend Taiwan, causing a lot of fears. I mean, if it does happen, would he still keep that promise or would the White House just say we can't defend Last thing, China's cutting edge chip is in doubt. So where does this leave China? Over the past few years, China has pumped a lot of money into this domestic semiconductor industry amid to boost self-sufficiency and re- reduce its reliance on foreign companies. As an example before, that would be inc- incredibly difficult because of the complexity of the supply chain and the concentration of power in the hands of a few companies and countries. China is improving such areas such as chip design, but still relies heavily on foreign tools and equipment. Manufacturing is the Achilles heel for China, according to uh, Kote, Kote Shani, China's biggest contract chip maker called SMIC, but the company's technology is still significant behind the likes of TSMC and Samsung. You know, this could potentially cause a lot of, not just alliances, but a lot of grudges between countries. Think about it. Chips are probably going to be the next big resource that we're going to need drastically. Okay. It's kind of going to, it's kind of going to be similar to How oil was the demand that was needed to win World War II? Not saying a war is coming, but if a war does come, chip manufacturers, whoever can make the chips, is most likely going to have a huge edge in in the next coming war, if war were to break out. Not trying to say there's a war coming out. It's just an observation that's being made. What's also going to be interesting too, especially if the United States does this, where are they going to put the plant? In all seriousness, it needs to be in a location, at least if this is a security issue in the making, it needs to be in a location to where it can't be easily accessible for anyone who potentially were to invade the United States. Not saying the United States can get invaded, just if they were to make it, they'd have to choose a location that would be able to handle being able to make the chips without any disruption and in in our own supply chain issues. I mean, even it says here, with the tensions and alliances, still there's some cracks being to appear between some of its partners, in particular South Korea and the United States. In an interview at the Financial Times, Ahn Ah-dong, Dong-gun, South Korea's trade minister, said that there were disagreements between Seoul and Washington over the later continue export restrictions on semiconductor tools to China. Our semiconductor industry has a lot of concerns about what the U.S. government is doing these days. China, the world's largest importer of chips, is a key market for chip companies globally from US giants like Qualcomm to Samsung's in South Korea. With politics and business mixing, the stage could be set for more tensions between nations and the high-tech alliances. Tech stocks could potentially get hit hard. It probably could. I mean, last quote we we'll read. It says, not all US alliances are eager to signing up for alliances or expand controls of technology bound for China as they have major equities in both manufacturing in China and selling into the China market. Most do not want to run a foul of Beijing over these issues. Maybe that's one reason potentially why China is starting to eye Taiwan. Because if they can take Taiwan, they would control the semiconductor space in general. So we, we agree. We really need to keep an eye out for this because semiconductors are, they could potentially be like a huge market in the making. If there is conflict. Last thing we'll read about Turkey Turkey cuts interest rates again as country struggles under 80% inflation. Turkey's central bank surprised markets once again with his decision to cut its key interest rates, despite inflation in the country surging beyond 80%. The country's monetary policy opted for a 100 basis point cut, bringing the key one-week repurchase rate from 13% to 12%. In August, Turkey's inflation rate was a record at 80.2%, quickening for the 15th consecutive month and the highest level in 24 years. Turkey also cut rates by 100 basis points in August and had gradually lowered interest rates by 500 basis points at the end of 2021, setting off currency crisis. A statement from the Central Bank of the Republic of Turkey said it has assessed that the updated level of policy is adequate under the current outlook, according to Rudders. It said the cut was necessary as growth and demand continuing to slow and also cited escalating geopolitical risk. It said markets should expect the disinflation process to begin on the back of the measure taken rudders reported the policy direction has long stunned investors and economicists who say the refusal to tighten policy is a result of a political pressure from turkish president who has long railed against interest rates and turned against economic orthodoxy by insisting that lowering rates are the way to bring down inflation the moths long campaign to continuously lower rates as turkeys trade and current Account deficit balloon is foreign exchange reserves run low and instead send Turkey's currency, the Lyra, into a multi-year tailspin. Yeah, this is going to keep causing Turkey to have more issues going forward. But there is something of concern, though, and it has to ironically be tied in with Turkey and Russia. Where is it? There it is. It It says here about Russia... Oh, here it is. I think you're gonna see the inflation increase more. This is a direct this is a quote, by the way. Uh I think you're gonna see the inflation increase more. But what the government has been counting on would be a deal with Russia to get cheaper gas to at least help the current um, account deficit on the energy side. Okay. I thought about this for a moment and realized because in the article, I didn't get the chance to read it, but it said like they're going to try to help with utility costs within the country of Turkey because energy prices are going up and certain items within the country are going up as well because inflation is above 80%, which is an interesting thought to think about. But Turkey in particular is trying to get cheap oil, according to this article right here from Russia. Okay. What becomes interesting is when you actually, you you if you Google to see what Turkey's response was to Russia invading Ukraine, this is where things get interesting. Okay, and this comes from a Congress.gov site. Okay, and this is from March 11th. It says, in response to the Russians' invasion, Turkey likely hopes to minimize spillover effects to its national security and economy. While Turkey has denounced the invasion and supplied Ukraine with armed drone, aircraft, and humanitarian assistance, the Turkish government has said Turkey will not join economic sanctions against Russia. The conflict has already worsened Turkey's ongoing domestic currency and inflation crisis, and its economy could be vulnerable to Russia's cutoffs of natural gas and wheat exports or military sanctions in Syria that create new refugee flows. In late February, Turkey acknowledged a state of war between Russia and Ukraine, involving Article 19 of the 1936 Convention regarding the regime of straits, which bars belligerent countries' naval access to and from, uh, from the Black Sea through the Bosporus and uh, Dardanelles Strait. A few days earlier, Ukraine has called it this, called for the strait closure shortly after Turkey's decision. Secretary of State. Antony Blinken expressed appreciation for Turkey's implementation of the convention and support for Ukraine. The United States is not a party of convention, but has complied in its terms since it went into effect in 1936 as a treaty that that is reflective of customary international law. It's going to get interesting to see. That's probably something that will be brought up to Turkey as well. Turkey will most likely get cheaper oil. And this is just the theory that I have nothing to prove on this right now. Turkey's probably going to go to Russia and say, we want cheap oil to keep our economy stable. Because that's one way they're going to be able to hopefully keep their economy more stable is by getting cheaper oil from Russia. Russia is then going to probably tell them, we'll give you even cheaper oil if you can allow our ships to go through the strait right now. Imagine how much political turmoil that's going to cause, not only in the political world, but in the markets in general. If that news ever broke out, it's just a theory, but it could cause a lot of chaos going forward. It could. I just don't even want to think about it currently, but it is something that has to be thought about. If Turkey is trying to get cheaper oil from Russia because they don't want to tighten their policy, this is going to make things really interesting. I personally believe Turkey, though, in particular, there's going to be a huge crisis in Turkey. I think inflation is probably going to keep running rampant in that country. Even with the cheaper oil, people are not going to be able to eat potentially, and they're not going to be able to afford a lot of things. And because of that people, there could be potential revolts in Turkey. There could be, we know that Sri Lanka went through that. The only reason why Sri Lanka had theirs is because they also are having an energy crisis. Turkey is probably hoping to avoid the energy crisis. They also have an election coming up in a year. So if they can let maybe last the election, maybe the markets can stay a little bit more stable. But it's still gonna be interesting to see if Turkey has any conflict. Because if it does, whatever's happening in Turkey will spill over to Europe. And the European markets will potentially get affected by whatever happens to Turkey, and especially with the Straits. Okay, I'm telling you. If if I was a Wall Street person and I heard the words that Russian ships were able to go through the straits through Turkey. I'd be a little spooked, especially in the European markets. It's just a theory, but so it's just a theory and the thought right now. So with that being said, fellow podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you have, please like and subscribe to this podcast. As every like and subscription that we have that we have on this podcast helps grow this channel so we can be able to keep talking about the news and events that are happening in the markets that Wall Street isn't always willing to talk about. We also ask too that you share with friends or family as every share that you give to friends or family can help grow this podcast too as they would probably wanna listen and be able to keep following up with the news and what's happening. With that being said, fellow podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.